1: What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners, I am Dan Valley coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario is ready for the Utah Jazz to stop sucking co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started with our Eastern Conference, check in via a mailbag. So thank you all in advance for the amazing questions that you sent in to Andy the other night. I just have our usual housekeeping notes. Above all else, please, please, pretty please with sugar and everything else that you like on top. Continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knox wherever you get your podcast. We can be found everywhere, including YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can still help us the most by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, even if you're not using iTunes. We just need to see those numbers go up. It, It helps the podcast get found. And as we see the numbers go up, I will maybe pester you less about rating and reviewing us there. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pavali, F-A-V-A-L-E. Also follow the Blue Wire Podcast Network on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. Last but certainly not least, shout out to this week's sponsor, Roman. You will hear their ad read in a minute. They can help men with all of their health needs basically. We're gonna talk about some awkward stuff in that ad read, but don't you worry. Roman is here for you guys. With all that out of the way though, Andy, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Still recovering from uh another terrible performance by the Utah Jazz, but I'm I'm ready to uh redirect my attention to the Eastern Conference and get off that topic.
1: If you had to nutshell it, what is the Jazz's issues? We covered this in the previous pod, but it has to be more than shot selection at this point.
0: Um Yeah, (laughs) they don't, (laughs) for the last few games, I think there's uh, a serious lack of effort on the defensive end. They're, they're not connected, um, offensively. I I think the biggest problem is still the fact that, uh, their leader in usage for each of the last three seasons is below average in efficiency. And Donovan Mitchell, at some point he's going to have to figure out how to get to the line or take more threes or, or something, um, the, the loss of Mike Conley, even though he was shooting terribly, has hurt them, too. I, I think he was kind of a stabilizer, especially for that first unit. Um, the, the starting lineup's net rating was great this season, despite the struggles um, team-wide. But I know you just told me to nutshell and I gave you like five things. Maybe a nutshell answer would be the bench, too, because they've been terrible. Um, it's, it's hard to nutshell a, a team that has so many problems right now.
1: Fair enough. Here's another team with a lot of problems, the New York Knicks. Since we've last recorded, they have fired head coach David Fisdale. That was kind of fait complete. I think we all saw that coming from the moment yeah. that, that Steve Mills and Scott Perry held that in, impromptu post-game press conference. I, I think it was November 10th or around there. Uh, and then reports came uh, from all over, including from Bleacher Reports, Howard Beck, that the Knicks remain enamored with going after... Raptors president Masai Ujiri, and there was also a report that he rejected a lucrative contract extension over the summer, and that he may be fascinated by the Knicks' job. What do you sort of make of of all of that? The latest in the world of Knicks.
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, if they wound up with Masai Ujiri, I, I do think that's certainly an upgrade. He's got a great track record. With you know, even before Toronto, he did some really good things with the Nuggets. Uh, he obviously built a championship team in Toronto, and more than that, he's he's built a team that's had sustained success even before and after the Kawhi Leonard trade. It's he he builds teams with depth. He has a knack for finding um, talent outside the lottery. Uh, he's he's made a lot of good trades throughout his career. I do think he brings some stability to the front office. Uh, it would be interesting to see if, if that stability that he brings can win out over all the chaos that, that has come with James Dolan over the last, whatever it's been 20 years, 25 years, I don't even know. Um, so I, you know, if, if they were able to pull that higher off, I think nuggets are not (laughs) going back to his, his stop before Toronto. I think Knicks fans, uh, would be rightfully excited about that. Uh, but I, I, would have tempered expectations just because as long as Dolan's there, uh, I think you have to be a little wary.
1: Right, and that's what this comes back to for me, is I know it's a little bit different with executives than it would be player free agents. The Knicks can offer uh, Masai Ujiri all the money under the moon, and perhaps there's something about the undertaking of, hey, if I can build a winner in New York, which hasn't won a championship in roughly six centuries, uh, you know, I'm immortalized, probably more so than I am for whatever job I've done with Toronto. That being said, I still think it matters that Dolan's there if you're him, because it's not like he's playing for this cash-poor franchise. You know, MLSE, yeah. the the ownership group of, of the Raptors, they have deep pockets. And there's also the allure of that challenge of building another title contender in Toronto post Kawhi Leonard. Like, that's another form of validation. And to put maybe Toronto on the map as a free agent destination, or just this place that's now known for churning out contenders and developing players and And even sort of those, you know, second or third chance guys like Rondae Hollis Jefferson, who's playing well right now, I don't think that's unappealing, unchallenging, or or stale at this point, which is why you would think he'd leave Toronto at all. And again, if it's a money issue, I don't really, I I can't see the Knicks outbidding uh, Toronto to the extent that it would be a no-brainer for him to leave. My other thing is, is, and I've seen people say this, is that James Dolan has stayed out of basketball matters through the past two regimes uh, with Phil Jackson and then Steve Mills and now Scott Perry. I'm calling bullshit there because one, part of a good team governor is that they're going to step in and put the right people in place so that they don't have to meddle to a detriment. Uh, James Dolan, we know, has meddled to a detriment in the past, and he's not putting the right people in place. It wasn't Phil Jackson and certainly not Steve Mills at this point, who has been with the franchise for way too long. I think it was uh, Bleach Report's Howard Beck wrote a piece where he pointed out that Mills has now been promoted like three times within the organization. You don't don't get to say that he's not part of the problem then. And then also, if you go on the radio, I don't care what reporters are saying or what people around the league were saying about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving definitely going to the Knicks. We know that that's what they were saying. He went on the radio basically a month after the Christos Porzingis trade and declared that they were going to get free agents. That's meddling, and then he's yeah. most likely, allegedly, the reason that Scott Perry and Steve Mills gave that wildly out-of-character out of, cow- uh, wildly out of character post-game press conference this season. That's meddling. So we have two instances within the past year where he's meddling, and there's other stuff going on. You think that Richard Jefferson tweet from New York's PR didn't have like James Dolan's stamp of approval, or that wasn't demanded by yeah. him? Not everyone in Madison Square Garden can be that rapidly stupid. And so he continues to meddle even if people don't see it. And the fact that I've seen people saying this doesn't fall on him as much as it does, you know, Mills or or Fisdale is mind-blowing to me. You know, maybe most of the blame is at Steve Mills, but you have to look at the guy who's not only installed him inexplicably because of that whole Glenn Grunwald situation after the Knicks were actually good for a season, but has now allowed him to sort of steer the franchise into this directionless hellhole that it's in. Right now, and that's just, that's just what's gotten me the most is that people continue to kind of fall for the James Dolan hasn't meddled, and I think that's a deterrent to not only free agents but to a guy like Masai Ujiri. And so I would be shocked if he ended up with the Knicks.
0: I think directionless hellhole should be the name of your debut album.
1: It's and look, it's not an overstatement. <laughs> who's who's their fortunes no, turning not. prospect? It might be RJ Barrett, but he can't hit free throws, and I. People point this out, like the Knicks are just not the place where you trust them to develop or oh, no. maximize their young talent. Kevin Knox, yeah. I mean, even Mitchell Robinson still fouls like crazy. So it's, I, I just, again, directionless hellhole, I think, yeah, fitting. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work. Or, sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with roman it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication it's simple safe and totally discreet with roman you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ed all from the comfort and privacy of your own home doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping the whole process is straightforward simple and again discreet getting started is equally easy just go to GetRoman.com BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Again, just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com BlueWire.
0: do we dive into this mailbag?
1: We should. Let's cannonball. Let's not even dive. Let's just cannonball.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Um I'm going to I'm going to kick it off with something near and dear to your heart. This is from Macknick 32. Which team will make the first trade of the season? And I guess we can we can restrict this to the Eastern Conference and I it maybe just tighten it up a little bit. Which Eastern Conference teams do we think are going to make some trades?
1: It has to be the Cavaliers at this point would be my yeah, pick. And maybe there'd be another Eastern Conference team involved in that trade. But with the report that players are growing frustrated with uh, John Beeline's approach, like he's treating it like a college team. That didn't
0: take very long, huh?
1: No. I mean, my whole thing is I get, look, that just because he's so, he's older, I'll say, the, the timeline always felt weird. But this is, he's not even a half season into <laughs> his first NBA coaching gig. Like, can players maybe give him a little bit of leeway? And I know it was probably mostly veterans, although the athletic uh, had reports, I believe it was from Joe Varden, that it wasn't just the veterans saying this. Like, it has to be, I thought there'd be more of a leeway period for him and just everyone involved, but it does seem that, uh, although Tristan Thompson kind of came out and just crapped all over anyone that was talking behind Beeline's back, which I thought was really cool and has made me just lo- appreciate this Tristan Thompson season, Tristan Thompson season more than ever, it just seems that there are going to be moves made in Cleveland and the no-brainer one would be Kevin Love, just because he has the three years and like 90-ish million left on his contract, and he doesn't fit their timeline. And he's someone who I think, even though the money feels a little bit weird, perhaps not this season, but looking towards the back end of that deal, he does feel like someone who would be fairly desirable.
0: Yeah, I think the money is certainly a concern, but I, I think you can find some some realistic suitors for him around the league. I don't think the Carmelo Anthony thing has gone quite as well as as some would have you believe. So maybe Portland is still an option. The obvious problem there is then you've got, you know, we, we just mentioned the money for Kevin Love. You compound that with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum's contract, and you, you've got a really uh, untenable uh, roster structure there, I, you know, in my opinion. And um, the other
1: problem there, too, is that Portland is 11th in offensive efficiency right now, and maybe that'll go down because... Yeah, so maybe
0: that's not the problem. <laughs>
1: hands up, Rodney Hood towards Achilles. That was really, that was devastating. Uh, he yeah. was having such a good year. But they're 20th in defensive efficiency, and Kevin Love isn't going to help you that there. doesn't help. I yeah. think he'll help <laughs> your defensive rebounding, which has been asked this season. But it's, you know, I, he'd be a good fit, but for what? And I don't know that you would have to give up a ton of value for him, but they also need wings more than ever. And so now it's like, do you give up? Because I'm sure Cleveland wouldn't want Hassan Whiteside's expiring deal. Do you end up giving up I know Kent Basin hasn't been good, but do you give up his expiring contract now for a big?
0: Yeah, that's a problem because it, th- then that's what I was going to get into next. The ready made trade from this offseason was like, Oh, well, Hassan Whiteside's salary matches perfectly with Kevin Loves, but now he's he's basically the only center left. Um Zach Collins is hurt, Yusuf Nurkic is, you know, obviously hurt before the season even started. So And and Whiteside has not been terrible this season. Um, So you've pinpointed a lot of concerns with that potential fit. Um, There's a bunch of teams in the East that I think are going to be in the trade market. We've already talked about the Knicks. Um, If they haven't accepted this already, they they need to understand that all those veterans should be available. Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, all those guys should be on the block. Um,
1: Marcus Morris is a good name for Portland. This should probably be something that we yeah. dive deeper into if we, when we do a trade season pot since that's coming up. But that's you said that name and that he would be, you know, him or Jay Crowder and Andre Godala. Those are probably the names that make most sense for Portland.
0: For sure. Um the Cavs have Kevin Love, but they also have Tristan Thompson. Um I don't know if anybody would want Jordan Clarkson as like an eighth man. Um maybe, maybe your first or second option uh, offensively off the bench. Um Charlotte has some veterans that could maybe help some people. I think Marvin Williams could help some teams. Um, So there's, there's a bunch of names throughout the Eastern conference uh, with, with some talent that might be available.
1: Would you, could you see anyone trading for Tristan Thompson at that number? 18.5 million.
0: That's I I meant to mention that too, actually. Um, And I'm, I'm currently working on a slideshow as you well know, because I've pestered you about it, like probably 10 to 15 times. Um, Trying to find a trade, for, for every team in the NBA. And I've got a slide dedicated to the Kevin love suitors. And so for Cleveland specifically, I was trying to find something that made sense for Tristan Thompson, like, like who can take on that contract. And it's pretty tough. Uh, And on top of that, I think it was Joe Varden who reported just, you know, within the last week, that if the front office is committed to one of the veterans, it would be Tristan Thompson, Uh, which kind of makes sense. Given what you said about him, him earlier, that he came out in defense of John Beeline. He's, he's only 28 years old. Um, You know, maybe the rest of his prime could be spent in this rebuilding time with Cleveland, but they have to at least be exploring what they can get for him. And, um, you know, maybe if they can get, you know, a couple second round picks, something like that. But salary wise, it is difficult to find a good match for him.
1: And I I like that you mentioned Charlotte, too, just because I know they're sort of like hovering around the East playoff picture right now because the East playoff picture is just Mm -hmm. absurdly depressing a little bit. I don't, if they're, if they eventually kind of, you know, you know, they are three games out as we record this. And so that might be far enough, but let's say we fast forward to January-ish and they're even further out. Um, a guy like Cody Zeller would be a name for me, two years left on his deal. And yeah. he's just, he's cheaper than a guy like Thompson, obviously more money left on his deal, but it seems like it's just easier to squeeze that number in. It's $14.5 million as opposed to eighteen point five And so that might be a name. I think one of those like sort of under the radar names. To watching these two and the other team i would say i I wouldn't pick them to move first definitely charlotte new york or cleveland would be my pick there but the bulls uh, do they start looking at at moving off pretty much anyone maybe specifically the free agency acquisitions um do you want to keep thomas Saturansky long term if you if you don't know where you're going or how quick your rebuilds moving maybe thaddeus young is a name that might catch some people's attention too
0: for sure um we're, we're gonna actually backtrack a little bit this is from thomas j hacker What's the best return Cleveland can get for Kevin Love? What team is the best fit for him?
1: Some people have cited Phoenix. I'm actually not a fan of that fit because Dario Saric is playing well. He's not hitting his three balls.
0: Saric is playing well, and I think Cameron Johnson can play some four. And, Mikhail it,
1: Bridges, too, is playing out of his mind lately. He's shooting yeah, like, yeah. A, I'm approximately 2 zillion percent on cuts right now. And I know he's shooting almost, I think it's 55 plus percent from three over his last six games. And that was after he was someone I originally thought could, would the sun sell high on? Could someone pick him up um, on the trade market just because he wasn't playing consistently to start the year, but now it feels like he's sort of hammered out a role and and he's been playing well and he's not your de facto four, but you have Johnson and Sarge and I'd even rather appreciate more looks with Mikael Bridges at the four than I would with seeing, you know, Kevin Love play with DeAndre Ayton or, or Aaron Baines, even though both of those are bigs that he could theoretically play alongside.
0: Yeah, I um, I've heard the Phoenix stuff too, my, mostly just from media, not mostly entirely just from media. Um, and I, I think I have all the same concerns that you have. I wouldn't be mad if they were exploring that potential idea. I've also the the No Dunks pod talked about Sacramento, which I found somewhat fascinating uh, the other day. I think Miami is kind of interesting uh, because they've they've got some contracts that I think are you know. They're, they're basically only there to be traded at this point with James Johnson and Dion Waiters. And and they've been really, really good this season, a lot better than I expected. But I think it would be nice if they still had a legit number two option on offense. Um, and, and maybe that's a slight to Goran Dragic and Taylor Hero. They've had a lot of guys step up in, in games here and there. But I think Kevin Love would raise their ceiling. And I think they have enough defensive players to sort of cover his limitations on that end. So Miami's one that that fascinates me a little bit for Kevin Love.
1: They're actually, they would be my pick is probably the best fit for him playing alongside Bam Adebayo. And then I like Sacramento is mm-hmm. interesting too. For me though, if you're the Kings, you'd have to be getting off Dwayne Dedmon's contract in the process for me, that yeah. or Corey Joseph's. And he's just become more essential at, because of Darren Fox's injury. But I, I you would have to get off of, of one of those deals. It couldn't be, you know, I don't even. Who else do you move when you're looking at salary filler? I mean, Trevor Ariza is on an expiring deal, but you would have to get off, and there there need to be a sweetener in there, obviously, because I know Dwayne Denman has the one less year when you just look at the way the guarantees shape out. Or actually, it's I guess two less years, two fewer years when you look at the way the guarantees shake out. But unless you're getting that deal off in the process, I, I don't really know if I I like it that much for sacramento who i'm not gonna would lie you, i'd rather see harrison barnes play the four for them yeah. than i would kevin love
0: would you so uh, i think i already know the answer to this question then would you give up a first round pick for love if you're the kings
1: I, it would have to be heavily protected and you would have to be getting off deadman in the process just i mean look okay. even be is playing the just just dispatched Bielitsa the houston rockets there. the night before we recorded this so yeah who needs kevin love when you have Nimandra manager
0: Bealitza <laughs> has been like criminally overlooked for the last two or three years. He's he's very good. Um the deal I have, spoiler alert in the article that'll be up this week, is it's pretty much exactly what you laid out. It's Deadman, Ariza, and a first for Kevin Love. So you get off the Deadman contract, the Ariza contract is filler at that point, and then you have Kevin Love, but then I think you you do have some fit issues at that point cuz like you said Bielitz has been great, Harrison Barnes should he you know, he should have been a 4 his entire career. He, people keep trying to make him a 3 and that's just not a he great idea. He's fine
1: though there when he's playing for Sacramento though. So yeah. I guess that helps the fit.
0: And I think if you look at the resulting you know, potential lineups, there it is intriguing. If you've got DeAaron Fox, Buddy Heald, um Barnes love and Holmes or Bogdanovich, love and Holmes, I think I think they can do some really interesting things. Offensively with that group, um, but I mean it's it's not a perfect deal by any means, and there's there it's hard to find perfect deals for any team really. So I, I think I think Miami's probably the most interesting one to me, but I I can see the logic behind people throwing out the Kings, uh, and the Suns, and and even the Blazers still.
1: I'm with you though. I think I think Miami's the the most intriguing one for me.
0: Yeah. So this is a real specific. Um, suggestion from at air underscore rec 20 uh but i i kind of want to use it to set up a larger discussion he asks what would it take for ben simmons drew holiday swap um and and my my thought that was triggered by seeing that tweet was more you know we've we've heard talk now for at least the last couple seasons about can Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid really fit together and really work together long term? And I've always personally thought it was way overblown. I, I don't mind the fit with those two near as much as other people do. So should should Philadelphia even be consider, considering any kind of a Ben Simmons trade?
1: Not, it's not going to happen this season because he's a poison pill after signing his max extension. And I think you'd look at it if you flop in the playoffs this year and it's just not working. I would absolutely look at it. I don't know that the uh, Drew Holiday swap makes sense ma- mainly for the Pelicans. I-, I don't know that I love the Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson fit. You have Brandon Ingram oh, and Lonzo yeah. Ball there. You'll run into a ton of the same issues, but I I'm not I'm with you. I think it's being overblown at this point. But if we get to the playoffs and it's it's just not working and Ben Simmons becomes this borderline liability, I think you've upped his trade value by signing him to a contract because I do believe there would be more than a handful of teams willing to give up primo or close to primo value for him you're just not there yet and feasibly you can't be again just because of the poison pill provision but this wouldn't be a problem i would if if it's a problem at all but this wouldn't be something i'd look at for the sixers throw out the contract status this wouldn't be something i look at until this offseason at the absolute earliest
0: yeah i don't think i would either um and i you know maybe it's just because i'm so high on both of Simmons and Ed Bede, and I think they're still young enough to figure it out that I'd, I'd be willing to wait a while. But like you said, maybe if they get squashed in the playoffs, that'll change my opinion. Um, all right, let's move on to at Al5252. Uh, this is very early for this question, but who do we see coming out of the East and why?
1: I believe we both picked the Bucks to to win the east or finish first in which the east, but feels we were,
0: pretty good now,
1: <laughs> we were also yes, but I was nowhere near as high on them as they've played right now, and yeah so either that's they're not I guess you could say they're a team that I was one of the teams that I was wrong about at this point, which is fine i I don't really know who's going to beat them i'm I'm at the point where I'm not sure that it's Philly. It could be a full-strength Boston is a little bit more interesting to me, and maybe even a full-strength Raptors team is more mm-hmm. interesting to me against the Bucs. But for them right now, it just seems pretty pretty clearly Milwaukee. And this is – you know, I had reservations about their wing rotation beyond the, the main wings to start the season. They've navigated that well. Brooke Lopez, by and large, has not shot well on, on wide-open threes, but he's been um, a, a pretty big defensive monster for them. So they're just – there's still things that I don't necessarily – love or like about their team and I want to see what Eric Bledsoe looks like in the playoffs but dude they're just absolutely bulldozing the Eastern yeah. Conference right now
0: yeah I think Milwaukee's the default pick um <clears throat> at the moment Giannis is somehow even better than he was last season which is just wild um and like you said Lopez is hasn't even started shooting you know like he did last season and, and maybe that kicks in at some point and they've still just been dominant so I think Milwaukee is in its it, it's in in its own tier at the top. I keep misspeaking today. Um, and then I think, are we ready to add Miami to the next tier? Like I think Toronto, Boston and Philadelphia are all pretty close. Is Miami in that group too? I mean, right now they're third. Uh, it's, it's super early. And I think I still have, you know, some questions about the roster, but they're a lot better than I expected too.
1: I I agree. I'm not there yet. And at that, maybe I should at this point because they're more than a quarter of the way through their season. I just don't, I don't trust their, their offense. They're 12th in offensive efficiency, which is actually a drop off what they've been. They're third in effective field goal percentage. Uh, they commit turnovers more often than anyone else in the league. I just don't I don't trust it. I, I feel like it's going to fall off at some point, but, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: I think that's fair. Um, this is a fun one from Paul Dolores at PAG Dolores. What do you guys make of the Pistons? I'm at a loss for words to describe this team's direction.
1: Ooh, man! Maybe we should have uh, invited Lazarus Jackson, friend of the pod, yeah, uh, for this one. I don't really know what to make of the Pistons, and I don't. Nor really... do I. <laughs> and it's you can't. I know there have probably been calls for them to blow it up, but you're two games out in lost com from a playoff spot of an Orlando Magic team that, in itself, has has not really been great this season, and so I, I just I just don't know. You have good games from Derek Rose, Langston Galloway's been. Been shooting the ball well. Blake Griffin has been up and down, but his three ball, by and large, has been falling. I don't, I don't know what to make of this team. I'm, I'm wondering if you know would, let's say, a healthy Reggie Jackson give them a jolt. I, I don't, I don't know. I also just don't know if there's a trade out there that they can make. It's when you look at the, the payroll right now, and if you want to blow it up, I do think you could find a taker. For Blake Griffin, but then what are you telling yourself leading into this summer when Andre Drummond has stated basically that he's going to decline his yeah. his player option? I just I honestly don't know what to make of this team. The the I'm happy to see that the or from what I've seen of the Pistons that the thon maker minutes have been decreased because Christian Wood uh, just didn't know a ton about him, but the way he can move with the ball in his hands and putting it on the floor just. The fact that it was even a question Joe Johnson could make the roster over him at one point yeah. is really astounding to
0: me. And I I forgot about the Joe Johnson thing. Um, I, I also have no idea what Detroit's direction is, and I think that's why they should start over. I I don't necessarily think they should trade everybody, but I think everybody should be on the table. Um, I just looked this up the other day, and over the last 20 seasons – or I think it's – I can't remember if I did the last 20 seasons or the last 10. Um, but their 22nd win percentage over the last 10 seasons, if you limit it to the last like five, it it bumps up slightly to 17th this season. Like you said, they're a game or two out of the playoff hunt. I think they're just year after year churning through mediocrity. And I think if they, they keep the team the way it is, they're going to continue to do that. So I think they should be exploring whatever assets they can get for every single veteran on the roster. I think even Andre Drummond should be available. Um, if you re-sign him this summer, I think that's a great piece to build around going forward, but if you can get a good return for him, uh, this season and avoid his free agency altogether and just sort of kickstart a rebuild, I think that's an option too. I, I would put literally everything (laughs) on the table if I'm the Pistons, because this team is not competing, um, for a title anytime soon. And I don't even think it's one of those teams where you can say, well, you don't have to compete for a title because you're good every year. And, and you get, you know, playoff experience and people like to cheer for a um, a good product. It's, it's just a mediocre team year after year after year. And this is a lot easier for me to say, uh, you know, from an office in Wyoming than it is in a front office for a team. But I would much rather blow it up, be terrible for a few years than to just be stuck on that treadmill of mediocrity.
1: Yeah, I agree. I also misspoke. I had looked up pull-up three-point percentage numbers on Monday, and Blake Griffin, relative to his volume, was o- among the league leaders and was shooting better than 36% on them, but I didn't see their game against the Pelicans. where. <laughs> Did you just go you
0: know, like one for nine or something?
1: Yeah, and so I looked at that, and he's – over his past eight games, he's shooting 35.4% from three, but he's 31% on the season, and that 35.4% mark, uh, that that six of seven – outing he had against the Cleveland Cavaliers who are just giving up all the victories to other teams right now <laughs> yeah. uh, is doing, is doing a lot of work there. So he's been, and look, he's coming back from, it doesn't even of, of the couple games I've seen him play. It doesn't even look like he's at full bore really. And he was playing on one leg, not even just in the playoffs last year, but t- to really end the season. And so I don't know if that's a lingering yeah. issue. And then that in turn, you know, you're talking about everyone should be on the table. What do you get for Blake? Griffin? That's true. If he looks yeah. banged up and when he's owed, two years and 75.8 million dollars after this one i'm even andre drummond at his number 27.1 million i'd be curious to know which team comes in there maybe in atlanta just because they might see
0: atlanta's who i've pinpointed for him for like two or three weeks now
1: my whole thing though is if you're doing that it's because you think the pistons are going to re-sign him in free agency because the hawks are going to have the cap space to go out and get him this year you don't need to give up equity
0: that's true um fair point um, well, here's, let me ask
1: you this. If your team blow up the Pistons, do you think Detroit deconstructs this, this year? Or do you think that they're going to kind of stamp pat and go after the playoff berth? Uh,
0: start that question over.
1: Are you, do you believe that if you think they're going to blow it up, do you think they will?
0: Um, no, I don't think they will. I think they should, but I, I think that's easier said than done. And I, I think, like I said, it's a lot, it's a lot easier for me to call it out here. Um, And I I think they're just kind of locked into what they've been. I don't know. That's like a real sad and lukewarm way to say it, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. What about you?
1: I don't think they're going to either. I I guess in part because I don't see the pathway to doing it, but Blake Griffin now all of a sudden means so much. And just the season he had last year, I think they might be willing to – I I think they might be – I had him ranked I think as a top 16 or 17 player entering this season. And so – Maybe I should have been a little bit more conservative with that, given given his knee injury. But I, I feel like he was so good last year, and because they don't have that clear path to really starting over, that they might be more inclined to to ride this out. Because if he does improve, if he put, you know, let's say it's after the trade deadline, you know, late February, early March, and he really starts putting things together and, and is healthier, I don't know why all of a sudden it would click. But they become a team, I don't know if you could say to be reckoned with in the East, but Again, the the East is sort of wide open, or at least that eighth spot is is sort of wide open right now.
0: Yeah, but I just don't know. Uh, I don't know what getting the seventh or eighth seed does for Detroit at this point. They're they're not like the young plucky team that we can say, well, at least they got some playoff experience, and now they can build on that. Um, I, I I don't I don't know if there's another team, and maybe this gets back to the original question, like what's the direction with the Pistons. I don't know if there's another team in the league that that screams mediocrity more than this one has over the last several seasons. Um, they just they just don't really do anything for me, either direction. Um, and I feel like I was more passionate in that rant than I was a lot of other things. So maybe they do.
1: Definitely more passionate than you were talking about the Jazz for some reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At KCE Gamer, um, this a lot of people have have talked about this topic so maybe we don't need to spend a ton of time on it but he just asks if the nets are better without Kyrie Irving
1: I look I'm gonna oh. say no it's, just, it's okay it's, it's way too early I feel like it's way too early to ask that question and you won't even really know the answer let's say he comes back and they get worse you're not even gonna know the answer until Kevin Durant is there
0: true yeah
1: this maybe they're more fun to watch without him I don't deny that but they also don't have Karis LeVert right now and this is the yeah. type of basketball that they're playing is not going to be able to be floated in the playoffs
0: so i i'm with you i don't think you can give a definitive answer to that question i will say though um I, I think there's something to teams just enjoying playing when the ball is moving everybody gets a touch um everybody's moving around a little bit i i do think that sort of peps up a team offensively and not that like Kyrie's the kind of I, mean, he, I think he's a ball stopper, but I don't think he's like a James Harden level ball stopper by any means. Um, so they can still do a lot of the things that they're doing now when Kyrie Irving comes back. But I, to to me, there is just something aesthetically pleasing for viewers and then just sort of in, uh, basketball pleasing <laughs> for the players. When they get to touch the ball, they get to be involved. Everybody gets to handle a little bit. Um, so I don't I don't know how they maintain that when he comes back. And I don't know if it's critical either. Like you said, we don't we don't really know what this team is gonna be until Durant comes back. And um there there's just a lot of questions with the Nets, and, and like you said, it's probably really hard to answer that one right now. righty. Oh, we, we kind of already touched on this. Um and maybe we can dig a little deeper, we'll see. At Kevin Cold Four, and then um at Derek A. Spencer underscore. They both asked if Miami is legit.
1: Just what does legit mean? Do we think that they're going to be second or so third? I'll, in the yeah, East? I'll
0: frame it the way that I – and I guess we already answered this question, so maybe we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. But I I think I'm – I was about ready to say it, but then as it was coming out of my mouth, I decided maybe not. Um, are, are we putting them in that tier? And I guess you already said no. Because I've got I've got Milwaukee in its own tier, and then there's Philadelphia, Boston, Toronto. Or or is it those three, and then the next tier is Miami and Indiana? I don't know.
1: Uh, they might be in a tier all their own. Mm. That might be a way to put it. Maybe you have, if you have Boston, let's say you have Milwaukee by itself, and then you have Boston, Toronto, you want to throw Philly in there. Then maybe it's just Miami, because I don't know if you put Indiana and Brooklyn there just yet. You have to see how they look when Victor Oladipo comes back for Indiana and Kyrie and Karis Levert come back for Brooklyn. That might be the way to structure it right now, which I just have reservations about Miami. And I wrote about this earlier in the season, but this is just, you know, just the one nutshell. I said they, they rank third in effective field goal percentage overall based on the location of their shots, though. They're fourth. They should be 14th in effective field goal percentage. So they're really outperforming expectations mm. there. And Look, they they take a good amount of the, the right shots, but they don't get to the rim too frequently. So it's just, I, I, I'm I'm just not entirely sold on them. Even their defense, I haven't looked to see if this stabilized, but opponents were just not making their wide open threes against them this season. And so that was another one where I, where I wondered, hey, are they going to be among the best defensive teams in the league. And now it seems to have sort of stabilized maybe a little bit low, but teams are shooting 36.8% on wide open threes against them. So perhaps that's not as big of a concern. I'm just, I don't, I think they're good and they're better than I expected. I'm not going to loop them in with the Raptors and Celtics right now.
0: Here are some things I find really intriguing <laughs> about Miami. Um, as you know, I, I've already taken victory laps on Bam Adebayo, but I think he's even better than I expected. I I don't, I could not have predicted 15, 11 and four assists. The passing is the truly wild part of this season for him. Um, he's really switchy on defense. He's, he's been phenomenal. Tyler hero (laughs) averaging almost 15 points a game and shooting 39% from three. I, I would never have predicted that Duncan Robinson is taking seven threes a game and shooting 43% from three. Um, they're they're getting contributions from My Myers Leonard. Um, it's they're they're just having a lot of guys randomly pop up and and make contributions that we didn't expect. I think Kendrick Nunn probably goes in that group too. And maybe this is a reason to say it's all going to come crashing down at some point because maybe two or three two or three of these guys come back to earth a little bit and, and suddenly they're not near as good. Um, but there, there's just a lot of encouraging signs all over this roster. And I think their best trade pieces, like I mentioned earlier, Johnson and Waiters, they're not even playing. And so if you replace those guys with another rotation player or even a borderline star like Kevin Love, um, then, then they become pretty interesting to me.
1: Aaron Gordon would be an interesting name for them. Oh, too. yeah.
0: That'd be very interesting. They, he's having a weird season.
1: He's not been good. Defense is yeah. fine, but he, is not, he has not been good. The, uh, the, you know, the the thing that's weird with the heat too, their defense, they rank in the top ten of defense in every single shot location, except for at the rim where they're twenty-eighth per clean They're yeah. fifth in defending the short mid-range, sixth on long mid-rangers, third defending the mid range overall, eighth in corner threes, second in above the break threes, second in all threes, twenty-eighth in opponent percentage at the rim. Hmm. I just shot that wild.
0: Yeah. Aaron Gordon shooting 42% from the field and 31% from three, just to emphasize what you said a second ago.
1: That's actually higher than he was shooting the last time I checked, so congratulations <laughs> to Aaron Gordon. Yeah.
0: Bringing it up. Okay, um, this one's kind of fun. Jalen Brown, all-star reserve or nah?
1: Ooh, I'm going to defer to you on that one.
0: I think it's in play. Um, if you look at Boston's roster, they they have, I think, four guys. With all-star cases right now, they're obviously not going to get four all-stars. But Jalen Brown right now is averaging 20 points a game, seven rebounds, shooting 38% from three. Um, I, I think if Boston gets multiple all-stars, he'd, he'd probably be third or fourth in the pecking order. Um, I don't know. You can maybe correct me if that sounds wrong. Gordon Hayward's you know probably bringing up the rear just because he's only played in nine games. At this point, and, and maybe he'll have enough time to build up his resume between now and February. Um, but there, Boston's been really interesting this season. Jalen, this is another team that has a few guys that I think have been better than I expected. Um, they're they're they look pretty dang good.
1: There, you said he'd be third on your list. I would probably only put Kemba in front of him. Are you putting Tatum ahead
0: Tatum? of him? Tatum's been really like his Tatum shooting has not been as good as Brown's not even close actually, but I think Tatum's actually been better defensively.
1: That's probably fair to say. I've been impressed with the the frequency with which Jalen Brown is getting to the rim relative to seasons past. Uh, it's actually less than or less often than ever, but he's shooting better than 70% at the rim and his his Again, you said his three-point percentage. His free-throw attempt rate is down, but his passing feels like it's been a little bit better on drives. He's passing on a higher percentage of his drives than Jason Tatum. I might put him in front of Tatum just because he's been the more consistent player this year.
0: And I'm as I'm looking at the stat sheet now, his effective field goal percentage is almost nine points higher <laughs> than Tatum's. Which I didn't is, realize that's, that
1: gap. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Tatum's been... He's hit his threes, even though that has dropped off. He's below 37%. That's not terrible, but it is a... Career low for him, but he's been just sort of up and down. And he, look, he's he gets to the rim less than Jalen Brown. He's getting to the rim on twenty five point two percent of his shots, and that's a that's a career low. And he's shooting fifty two percent at the rim. So I it, and those aren't the numbers that everyone's looking at when they're picking All Star. But I I think it's pretty clearly been Jalen Brown who's who's the more consistent player this year. And they're just so close when you look at the statistical categories. And I would even say defensively that I think I'd give the edge to Jalen Brown right now. Kemba's definitely one for me on the Celtics, but then I think I'd go Jalen Brown when we're looking at an all-star pecking order.
0: I was looking at the Celtics roster the other day. Um, they've got 12 guys who've played over 200 minutes. Can you guess how many are below replacement level by box plus minus?
1: Out of 12? Yeah. I'm going to say one.
0: Ooh, close. Two. It's just Carson Edwards Grant, and Grant Williams. That's it. The two rookies.
1: Carson um. has huge ass quads. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that makes up for the below or below replacement level uh, box plus minus. I can get behind that. Um, but they've they they are deep. They're playing really well. Um, if we got that question about uh, Kyrie Irving, but switch Nets out with Celtics, I think it might be a little bit easier to answer. Um, anyway. Let's okay. We got Justin's question in. He asked us about Jalen Brown. Um, Kevin cold is back. And I think he's, we've kind of already answered this Raptors or Celtics. I'm just going to put them in the same tier.
1: Yeah, I would too. If you had to pick though,
0: probably the Celtics right now.
1: I want to say the Celtics too, but I feel like I'd pick the Raptors. I like mean maybe maybe I'm just way too high on Pascal Siakam.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that Siakam and Van Vliet have sort of come back down to earth a little bit in in recent games. Um but they've they've obviously got <laughs> a lot of playoff experience. Um Siakam's been phenomenal this season. I, I think the talent is a little bit deeper on Boston. Um for sure. And but they're that's, relying on Toronto's relying
1: much. on guys that you could easily see fading off as well. You know, is Terrence Davis going to be amazing forever? Is Ronnie House Jefferson yeah. going to be an elite offensive rebounder and, you know, be finishing around the rim better than, than he usually is for the rest of the season? I don't know.
0: By the way, we talked about this on a on a different episode. I don't remember which one, but <laughs> tracking the Mark Gasol two-point percentage, I think he went 0 for 6 the last the last game, and now he's down to 32.8% from two-point range this season
1: look that's impressive i think like that's really difficult
0: <laughs> that's like borderline staggering um
1: borderline that's absolutely staggering <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay
1: what does he shoot uh, from two for his career
0: let's let's go back to this uh
1: 49.7 and that's definitely staggering
0: prior to this season he was oh, that didn't make a big difference 49.8 before this season 32.8 this season it's just that's wild and look,
1: it's uh, under 50% because he's that pick and pop big man, but to see it at 32.8% now is, is
0: wild. Yeah. Um at Skills Sunny, a full health Celtics squads will win the East. Am I right? I no. think it's in <laughs> I, I so I I would again, we've already picked the Bucks, so I'll obviously stick with that. But would you be shocked if the Celtics were in the NBA finals?
1: No, I think the 3 teams right now and I you could throw Philly in this because maybe they are built for the playoffs, but the the 3 teams right now that wouldn't shock me at all to come out of the East are Milwaukee, duh, then yeah. Boston and Toronto, and I'm I'm on the fence about Philly. I was even reluctant about putting them as the second best team in the East this year, but they're when they're going to be healthy, their starting five is going to roll over people and I could see them being a real problem in the playoffs and so i, w- I would throw them too. M- miami would surprise me more to come out of the east than any of those other four teams
0: i would agree with that this is a fun one for me at real j friedman why does joel Embiid dribble in traffic
1: <laughs> because the sixers floor balance is off how is <laughs> he going to get open lanes
0: yeah um the turnover thing with him is it's just always fascinated me um, it's down a little bit this season, but it's—I mean—it's actually up from last season. It's down from his rookie levels, but this guy turns the ball over like crazy—four point three per thirty-six minutes for his career. Um, not a huge deal, obviously. Philadelphia has been like massively better when he's on the floor over the course of his career, but that, it's always just something that like jumps out to me. Joel Embiid turnovers.
1: Look, and it's—he tries to do more off the dribble work from face-up positions anyway than than most bigs are going to. And so I think that accounts for it. Um, That being said, among every player this season who has appeared in at least five games and is averaging at least 2.5 drives per games, that's a a pool of 202 players. Joel Embiid's 21.4 turnover rate is dead last.
0: Like the highest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you just pull that up? Since I've read this question, yeah, that was so fast. I'm impressed.
1: Uh because we all know that he has like the the stuff with the the, the excuse me the problems in the post, and I just wanted to see because it felt like he was sort of attacking more from face ups off the dribble this yeah. year, from what I've seen of him. I wanted to see what that number looked like, and it is pretty predictably high. That... <laughs> yeah.
0: um, interesting. All right,
1: <clears throat> he is only turning only in quotes turning the ball over on thirteen point three percent of his post-ups which is about where he was last year and it's down from 2017 2018 when he was around 16 percent. so that's encouraging
0: <laughs> do they run i need to watch i need to like really lock into a couple more philly games um from not what I
1: fun to watch this year as i thought they were gonna be
0: yeah did they... i mean what i was gonna ask is how often do they run just a traditional simmons mb Pick and roll where Embiid is like truly rolling to the rim instead of just catching it at the high post or catching it in a low post like he so often does and turning and facing.
1: This is not going to be a perfect example of that, but Philly is once again dead last in pick and roll ball handler frequency this season. Yeah. Just to give you an idea of how often the
0: pick and roll ball handler finishes the possession, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, we could look at if you want me to look at the role, man, I, I can do that too. But my whole thing is how effective we would have to see the specific combination numbers there, but how effective is that? Because how much damage does Joel Embiid screening for Ben Simmons do when guys are just going to go under it? So, yeah.
0: I think that's Philly's also real-
1: dead last in uh, the frequency of possessions that are finished by a role man as well.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah. I think they got to do something to get to, to, to just, add a little variety to his offense. I mean, it's not like it's a big problem. He's been above average, true shooting-wise, his entire career. I think that's heavily weighted by how often he gets to the free throw line. Um, but I, I think if you just sprinkled in some other stuff beyond what they've done with him over the last few years, I do I do think that would help a little bit. At Bayo gaji. hopefully I pronounced that close to correctly, um, I think we can answer this one pretty quickly. Are the Bucks overhyped?
1: No, well, I, I, so, I mean, I maybe I shouldn't be answering like that, no. but yeah, they have the so, best defense in the league, and I feel like when you look at some of their players, uh, let's say specifically a Brook Lopez, uh, Eric Bledsoe has been close to at least to, before the quarter poll, was was closer to a roller coaster than not. You didn't have Chris Middleton for an extended period of time. This almost feels like a team that maybe might not even reach its absolute apex until we get later in the year.
0: I actually think they're probably closer to underhyped uh than overhyped. I feel like we've heard a lot more about the Lakers and the Clippers um, even the 76ers have generated a lot of buzz this season. I I think the Bucks are somehow at like tw- what are they 21 and 3 flying under the radar a little bit. Uh, and maybe it's fair to wonder about them because of the way they flamed out in the playoffs. Through. last season um but I I think I think they're phenomenal um <laughs> they somehow are a little bit deeper than they were last year I think like like they've got a bunch of guys contributing off the bench this year divincenzo has been good Pat Connaughton's been good um there's there's a lot to love with this Bucks teams George Hill has has gone a long way toward replacing what Malcolm Brogdon was doing for them um so so I agree I don't think they're overhyped in fact I think they might be underhyped all right, last one. This is going to be a dual uh, question. Um, at Stringer Bell and at Sports Talk Lest, they both ask the same thing essentially. Um, Pacers, once Oladipo gets back, can they can they make any kind of a run?
1: I would say they're better in the macro than I expected them to be without him. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't see why not. But it also becomes a matter of what does he look like upon return from this quad injury like he might not be someone that immediately helps your 17th ranked offense
0: completely agree um it, it might take him some time to find his game legs and and we've seen with a lot of significant injuries that sometimes it doesn't happen until the next season um chris Tapp's porzingis sat out a year and a half and he, he still looks shaky So these, these really big injuries and the amount of time that NBA players take off to rehab that stuff now, just exercising an abundance of caution. I do think it takes a while to get back into the flow of things, but if it, you know, let's, let's say it's a quick timeline for him. um, And in two or three months, he kind of looks like his old self. They're going to be tough. Um, Have you heard this take floating around the last few weeks that like one through six, the East is right there with the West this season?
1: I've seen, the take that I've seen floating around is that the West is not as strong as people make it out to be.
0: So I think there might be something to both of those. Um, I'm not, I'm not ready to say the East is like caught up to the West, but when we talk about teams like Indiana and, and Miami and Boston's better than we thought and, um, the East still has, you know, major, major issues at the bottom, but one through six is, is pretty dang strong this year. Do
1: do you think that this could just be a gap year for the West though? You're looking at a banged up golden state, no Zion in New Orleans. And then Sacramento has been playing better of late. And so I won't use the De'Aaron Fox injuries and excuse for them. And they really haven't been terrible, but we're also then to go with the former of saying, that the East is right there, that the West is substantially weaker. You have to kind of believe that Portland and, and San Antonio are what they've, they've been thus far, which is possible. They're both five games or five games under 500 for San Antonio, six for Portland. Maybe they are that bad. But if one of them sort of comes on in the middle of the year,
0: I, I feel like that good. could turn yeah. pretty quickly. I do think San Antonio is just what it is though. <laughs> and I know that this is one of our areas of disagreement. And then Portland, um, if they keep losing guys to season-ending injuries every couple of weeks, they're going to be in trouble too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're in trouble now. So
0: Yeah. Um,
1: the question I'm upset that you didn't get to is from Jacob Harmon at J.K. Grin <laughs> at J A E K G R I N.
0: thought you would do this.
1: <laughs> How much are the Knicks going to beat the Jazz by?
0: Um, I will say I'll put the over-under at 11.5 favoring the Knicks.
1: <laughs> You're, that the Jazz should be favored by eleven and a half, or the no.
0: that... <laughs> the, the Knicks should be favored, and RJ Barrett's going to drop thirty five. um Marcus Morris is going to have thirty. Mitchell Robinson's going to have eight blocks. It, it's going to be a coming out party for the Knicks.
1: Oh, and someone did ask. This is DJ Oprah Spinfree uh, at the Eric. Bisser. Hey, repeat
0: appearance. I, I will never forget that handle.
1: uh Are the Knicks the worst team since the Bobcats? I'm assuming. That This is a reference <laughs> to, the, that to the 2011-12 Bobcats, who went 7-59. and 59. Um, The Knicks aren't even the worst team in net rating this season. So, according to Clean the Glass, they're 28th in net rating. If you go by basketball reference, um, they're 29th, and they have the 15th worst net rating of all time right now, where Charlotte, that Charlotte team was tied for the worst net rating of all time with the 92-93 Dallas Mavericks. Right now, Cleveland has the worst— uh, net rating in the nba and it is one of the 10 worst of all time this is not adjusted though so that would be something to look into but i do not think that the knicks are the worst team since those bobcats but if they trade (laughs) (laughs) marcus morris the the season is still young is all
0: i just pulled up the worst winning percentages of all time um that 2011 12 bobcats team 10.6 percent it's like staggering um, this is the second time I've used that word in this podcast, but these Knicks 2019, 20 have the 15th worst w- winning percentage of all time, still somehow about seven percentage points higher than that Bobcats team. Um, <laughs> you gotta be really, really bad to, to match that 10.6%. Um, I wonder what happens if I do SRS, which is strength of schedule and point differential Let's see where the Knicks come in on that one. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Twenty uh, eighth worst, and the Golden State Warriors are worse than them. Sixteenth worst SRS of all time for this Warriors team. Um, there are some teams what off the to hell some is a gap really here. Bad. Yeah, really, really bad starts this season. I'm I'm so glad that you mixed in those Knicks questions to close us out, especially the Jazz one. That hey, warm We're yeah.
1: finishing how we started oh, yeah. <laughs> about the Knicks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Talking about how the Knicks are going to pound the jazz just warms the cockles of my heart.
1: That Uh, was a sentence. That is a sentence. (laughs)
0: Let's let's splice that one out and tweet it or whatever we do uh, for the (laughs) 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 – All right. That wraps up another mailbag. Thank you to all of you for your fantastic questions. As always, if we didn't get to yours, I'm sorry. Uh, Keep reaching out, and hopefully we'll get to them on the next one. If you want to get at us on Twitter, Dan's at Dan Favelli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at Blue Wire Pods. As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, we leave you with a shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson.